Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Madam's Cast. Ah, oh, it's, you know, it's getting quite cosy doing this. I'm starting to miss it when I haven't got a day with a recording or a, a new show going out. We're really loving all the feedback I've been getting, so thanks very much. Once again, if you are sharing or listening, please download or share the link so that we get all of the numbers back at the important part of the place so that we can show the podcast to more people. Uh, show to more people? Let them listen to it. Can you show it? Anyway, never mind. Um, this week's guest is very exciting um, because, apart from anything else, it's our first proper baker joining the show. And um, he's also a nominee. Alex Rushmer nominated this wonderful chap. And so I'm going to see if he's there and I'm ready to introduce himself. Tim Kinnaird, are you there? Uh, I'm here, Tim Adams. We've both got the same name. We have, we have. That's it's a funny one, isn't it? Because when I was at school, there weren't any more Tims, and then I got to secondary school, and there was one more Tim, and then I went off into life, and there still weren't any more Tims, and then I started working, and I met a Tim, and now I've got about six Tims. You must be number seven. And we're there everywhere. They breed. breed (laughs) Excellent. Good. Well, there should be more Tims. That's something I've always felt. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Not not too many, but more. Um. Okay, Tim. I have described you as a baker. Is that accurate? Can you can you tell us your your journey from just yeah, being my, a person my journey to um, becoming a baker? My, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I I am a baker. I I, I run a, a a baking patisserie business uh, based in Norwich uh, now. Um, my my background is a bit odd. Um, I um, I originally trained as a as a doctor, so I um, I was a consultant pediatrician. Uh, working in the health service until uh-huh. twenty when was it twenty ten I, I changed career so ten years ago um, I'd always had a, a love of of baking and food and cooking um, which kind of um, sort of sustained me through uh, hardworking junior doctor jobs as kind of a way of relaxing and de stressing that sort of stuff and um, yeah but then in in uh, two thousand and nine broadcast in twenty ten I um, I was on BBC's um, MasterChef um, with two of your previous guests, Drew and Alex, and um, <laughs> oh, bless them. Um, and um, I, that worked out all right. I, I was um, uh, runner-up with Alex through the mighty Drew Baker, and um, I that took the lid off a box that I couldn't get back on. Um, uh, so I, uh, towards the end of the filming, that I decided to change career. And um, yeah, so then after that, I, I carried on working in the health service until the um, the show was was broadcast, and then um, left before just shortly before it it, um, it went out and set up um, yeah a, a, a baking business um, initially baking at home, um, <gasps> just uh, selling to um, SE. Away, <laughs> yeah, I know. you know having the environmental health inspector come around to your own house is uh, is stressful. Um, but um, yeah, so but I, I quickly sort of grew and um, took a small unit, um, which turned into a big unit. And um, so now we we sell throughout the UK through our website macaronsandmore.com, right. and um, okay. we uh, have a small cookery school based in Norwich where we teach um, baking and patisserie related um, techniques and um, recipes and. Um, and then we have a shop in Norwich City Centre um, in the beautiful Royal Arcade where we sell our macarons and other 
cakes and confectionery. Um, Lovely. So yeah, Lovely. so a bit of a bit of a odd story. But yeah, my my love of baking and food was always kind of sort of predated medicine in a way. Yeah, so you sort of thought I must do the sensible thing and go and do medicine. And well, jolly, jolly good to you for doing it as well. I mean, that would certainly be the advice I would give to anyone. I mean, I don't get I don't have anything to do with hospitality whatsoever. <laughs> Go and get a reliable job, and there is always yeah. going to be sick people. So being a doctor sounds like a good one. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, but yeah, utterly incompatible. I would have imagined the, trying to sort of bake and be a busy doctor. So there was no crossover. You just had to get rid of one and start the next. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um. I think I think when I when I when when I've heard people sort of who've done had similar career career changes to, to me talk, I, you sort of always sounds like they've had this kind of grand plan and you know always heading this way and then they change. And I mean, I, I think for most people, and say for me, it's um, it was they're, they're kind of small small decisions and and small small bits and and that, that, that completely change turn you know change your life around, turn it upside down. And um, I. I love being a doctor. Um, I, it's a, you know, it's a really privileged job. Um, uh, but it was, um, yeah, it was that kind of uh, wanting to explore other things that I enjoyed. So that kind of creative side of things. Um, you, you know, you can't be overly creative as a doctor. You have to, you have to follow. <laughs> Follow the rules, really. It's that. a bit frowned upon, isn't it? Is, yeah, why has yeah, Johnny yeah. got his leg up there? Well, we thought we'd just pop it back on in a different spot, you know, yeah. mix from a bit of variety. You do. You have yeah. to sort of follow the guidelines. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I. But also, I, I, I quite, yeah, I quite, I, I thought I'd quite enjoy running my own business and and sort of building something, which which turned out to be the. The case really. So I, I am a baker, um, but um, you know, I think with, with anybody that's run a, their own business for a while, you, um, you, um, you know, we make. Uh, uh, I don't know. Today we probably made twelve hundred macarons. Um, I haven't made any of those. I've got a brilliant team who've who've made those in the kitchen today in our bakery. Um, so I, my day to day um, stuff is is running the business and. Um, but also, you know, doing lots of the the fun kind of recipe development stuff, the new bits and pieces and that kind of stuff. But um, well, I'm very lucky. I, I say I've got a very I've got a very good team who are um, who are awesome and do all the uh, do all the hard work. Yeah, well, people make businesses, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and the good ones are often slippery, uh, difficult to keep hold of. But yeah. um, look after them well. They they do tend to hang around a bit. So, yeah. um. I'm quite intrigued by this idea of a of a school, a little a little patisserie school because yeah. you know, I'm a I'm a cook. I can cook a bit. Can. I can make my own bread. I can make my own pastry. Yeah. But I sort of tend to sort of when it comes to desserts and sweet bakes, I tend to sort of linger in about five or six sort of tried and tested places where I feel comfortable, like yeah. ice cream, bit of cake, something like that, and anything else sort of starts me. I start to feel a little bit nervous and look shifty. And so I'm like, well, I think we need a, I think we need a patissier for this. Where, where are they? Bring them in. Bring them in. Yeah. Where's the specialist? It's quite a specialist area, isn't it? Well, it, it, it is. But I mean, I think one of the things I'm always keen to say about, about it is um, it's, it's not that. I mean, it, I, I, sometimes I think that this kind of, there's, there's a bit of a myth around sort of patissier that it's, it's terribly complicated and technical and, Sometimes I wonder that's just about 
historically the you know the insecurities of pastry chefs who you know don't get to go and play with the hot pans and they're out in the back in the cold and they've got to feel feel important so they say well yeah but why it is terribly difficult you know i can't you know you wouldn't be able to do this and, and it, it, it is i mean you, you can't you can't sort of um to as as much as a, a degree kind of freestyle it and you know a bit of salt and a bit of pepper and a bit of whatever and uh, i'm gonna cook my meat this way or that way today um you have to sort of follow the some basic principles but there's i reckon there's probably kind of 10 or 12 core techniques within sort of pastry, you know, you know, mousse making, sugar stuff, uh, laminating doughs, um, meringues, you know, egg, egg based foams and other, other foams, setting agents, gels, that sort of thing. So, so if you've got, if you've got kind of four or five kind of, you know, if you've got cake, ice cream, jelly, uh, you know pastry flan up your sleeve you, i mean most most of the fiddly stuff is just combinations of that um okay and a, and a okay. lot of, i think oh, a lot of the tissue is that it looks it has a kind of appearance of overall complexity but actually if you break it down to its component parts it's it's not um it's not that tricky and and, and the thing that i found over the years actually is if you, you end up being a bit like a magpie as a baker that you you find a great recipe you know a, a for something can you stick with that and then you can use that in 20 30 different ways and come up with you know yeah. 30 40 different looking cakes when actually the, the core techniques are, are fairly similar but yeah as i said i think it's just pastry chefs feeling a bit insecure trying to make everybody feel they're important <laughs> fair enough so smoke and mirrors uh, and yeah. some good key skills you're away yeah yeah i've always when i was working as a like when i was a sort of proper hardcore I suppose chef to party in London. Yeah. I was always amazed by the pastry chef. Um, we had a brilliant pastry chef at one of the restaurants I worked at uh, for White Star Line, and um, she could do incredible stuff. But one thing she did the most was strike cold fear into the heart uh, of any young chef to party anywhere nearby by saying things like, "Can you look after my section tomorrow when I'm <laughs> off?" Because I'd just be, I'd be like, "Oh my god." no is the answer i'm not i'm not coming in if i have to do that because everything was so i mean i'm pretty well organized no that's not true for a chef i'm not well organized but i'm quite a well organized person this woman i mean the pastry section was so well organized i was like this is mind-boggling i'm yeah. not having anything to do with this i used to yeah. go home in a cold sweat if i knew i had to cover on the pastry the next day yeah um, i think i think okay. for me that's sort of, it, it, it quite appeal i mean that's sort of previous sciencey sort of background and, and the stuff i learned about medicine about kind of organization and detail and that's so, it, so it, it for me that i quite like that kind of neat yeah and tidy. yeah okay okay i can see that sort of mindset appealing mm. yeah got you um right okay so tim lovely as it is i mean we could uh, we could probably just chat for effectively that's what we're gonna do but we're gonna try and and structure that so that you come up with and 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 we talk about three things that you would like to change within the world of food. And yeah. the listeners out there know this by now, and I think you know this, but you can be however creative, spontaneous, funny, or serious and focused on any of those points or all of those points as you'd like to be. It's entirely okay. up to you where you go with it. Um, I will try and keep my trap shut as much as possible, but I might interrupt at certain times a, if I think it's time to talk about me for a minute, because frankly, <laughs> sometimes it is. B, 
uh, if I think it's a really good point, but we've skimmed over it and can we can we go into a little bit more detail uh, or see any other reason that I suddenly pops into my mind at the time. Yep. Okay, so uh, without any further ado, thanks very much for coming on, Tim. I've forgotten to say thank you. No. I must say thank you at the front. I'll probably say thank you again at the end, but it's nice to thank people for coming on because you don't get anything out of this. Those uh, listeners sitting at home thinking, wow, you know, Tim will be getting a nice fat check for a couple well, I thought of that was the I mean, you know. <laughs> Tim, your agent's been lying to you. <laughs> Have a word with them. Oh, this is awkward. Uh, maybe we better right, ban right. I'll, I'll, I'll let it pass. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so I really do appreciate you uh, coming and having a chat because uh, it's really fascinating for me to talk to new people and, and to, to get some new viewpoints. So okay. it's much appreciated. Um, clear your throat, have a glass of water, and yeah. give us point number one, please, Tim. Right, it's point number one. Um, so this sort of follows on from what you're talking about, really. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of um, technique in, in cooking, and um, one of the things I would like to see more of in the world of food would be um, when people are, are writing recipes or uh, broadcast or, or sort of print media where they're talking about cooking and, and, and new foods, that I think I think there should be more of an emphasis on technique and not just ingredients. Um, so, so much of I think much of modern kind of recipe writing um, is often based around uh, a new or a novel ingredient, um, and that the excitement and the interest in that that dish, savoury or sweet, comes from that kind of new in- ingredient. So. You know, uh, uh, a, a, a new uh, fish, uh, something that people haven't had before, uh, you know, a new condiment, uh, you know, pomegranate molasses, uh, a clever <laughs> Japanese um, flavouring, uh, you know, a katsu bushy kind of, or kombu, or, a, you know, making making dashi, or, or you know, right up to those kind of, um, the, the people like Rene Redzepi and the, and the chap in um, Brazil who put ants in their salads because they they taste citrusy. Everyone, you know, everyone's putting ants in the salads now. Anyway, and but I, I think with that, you, you, I think what makes really good food is a combination of a great set of ingredients and great technique. Um, so, and it's and it's one thing I've I've learned from 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 my business and also from teaching people cooking. And, and most of the most of the classes that we run, it's it's flour, butter, eggs, chocolate, cream. It's not complicated stuff but the the variance that you can see in what people produce and what you, you know you'll know yourself that when when you cook every day it's slightly different depending on how you how you're feeling and how you're approaching it and how how well you're you know you're technically cooking that day so and i just i'd like to see that kind of talked about more in recipes i'd definitely like to see it sort of taught more in schools and and in, in cookery schools for, for for adults um you know, you know. For example, if you if you um, you can you can spend loads of money on a really beautiful bit of fish, um, but if you cook it awfully, if you overcook oh, it, um, yeah, it tastes as you know it tastes awful. Whereas you could go to, you know, your average supermarket buy an unexciting bit of fish that sat on the counter for a while, um, doesn't look much fun or very interesting, but you cook it better than the posh bit of brill or turbot or whatever. Um, and it'll taste infinitely better than than um, your posh stuff that you've not cooked well. Um, yeah. the, same th- I, I, the point I always, I always 
always like making really about this is is um, things like um, roast chickens or, or turkeys at Christmas. Um, you can um, you can make the most um, uh, uh, you can buy the most amazing um, uh, free range turkeys, which if you cook well are infinitely better than than anything um, you, you know sort of factory farms or whatever. But um, and but but if you if you don't, if you if you say if you if you overcook that, if you if you do it wrong, if you if you if you bake it over over bake it over roast it, um, it tastes as 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 uh, as unexciting and as as um, uh, as unpleasant as if it was kind of a, a cheaper kind of farm, you know, uh, kind of barn farmed turkey. Yeah. So yeah. you know, if you if you if you learn um, the, the the basics of of how to roast, how to pan fry you know how to how to cook onions you know one of the biggest oh. things i know it sounds yeah but, but no it doesn't but but people so i i saw this recently uh, there's quite a lot of stuff on social media about um someone saying oh i've only just realized if you cook if you're making a curry for i mean i know curry is not a it's a very broad term but you know from common parlance sort of curry um if you cook the onions for a lot a lot longer before you put all the rest of the stuff in, it tastes much better. It's like, yeah, no, <laughs> it does. Um, uh, you know, if you cook, if you cook them for two or three minutes and then you move on and you're sticking in your ground spices and your garlic and your ginger, or whatever, you don't get half the depth of flavour. Um, so yeah, so so I, I I would like to see people spending a bit more time paying a bit more attention to the. The sort of core techniques of cooking savory and, and sweet food. That is a brilliant point, and I really like the way that you gave me an example without having to be asked. That was good uh, with the onions and also with the turkey. Now, I'd like to extend your turkey example a little bit, yeah. if I may. I think a, a really good quality, well-reared bird cooked too long will actually be worse yeah. than a poor quality bird because of the the toughness. Um, will be stronger because the birds moved around there'll be less intramuscular fat so it's much less forgiving yeah the better the ingredient the harder often it is to get right because you've got nowhere to hide and the fish fish example i quite like for that reason too i wonder this is just a proposer really yeah. i'm just pondering this has the way that media has infiltrated food infiltrated makes it sound bad i don't mean in a bad way yeah. but do you think that the amount of media interest in food has affected the ability to communicate in with the time and depth required to explain the technique everything's got to be a soundbite or a tip or whatever and actually sometimes you need to spend 20 minutes talking about cooking an onion as you, you, you do and it's that's not sexy you know pomegranate molasses is much more sexy than cook your onions for 20 minutes um <laughs> i think it depends what you do with it but um yeah yeah, no, you're right. I mean, and and it's uh, a a wowie new, new kind of um, uh, new, a new ingredient. Uh, you know, something exciting from a far off foreign land um, is always interesting and always kind of and people love that. Uh, oh, what's new? You know, the the the, the, the hunt, and, and I'm as guilty as of anything. You know, I'm always there buying the next new cookbook or what's you know I've, I've come across this kind of uh delicious new kind of japanese or korean condiment think, oh i'll try that yeah, yeah, yeah. um uh and that's a, and you're right that's much easier to package up um as a in a kind of a 
a tweet or an Instagram post or a short bit in a, an online um, news source. So uh, it's not, yeah, it's it's you're, you're absolutely right. It's not as sexy as stop doing that and cook your onions for longer. Brilliant. Uh, well, well, that was a good point. And maybe you and I should get together with a couple <laughs> of your other uh, mates and we should write a book, a really boring book. Yeah. We could call it the boring book of better cooking techniques. <laughs> yes, we could. We could just do it on onions. We could do a whole chapter on how to chop an onion, and then how to yeah. how to, how to okay. cook an onion, to fry an onion. Well, what sort of onion is it to start with? Some onions are much sweeter than well, other yes, onions. Well, yes, we. That's true. We should start with the the book of the red onion cookery. <laughs> and then uh, well, the yeah, 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 yeah. So, but there's definitely at least four chapters on the alliums. Um, before we even get started on the extended, I, I, Tim, I think we should stop talking. I think we need to be talking to a, a literary agent before we we, we broadcast <laughs> this. This is this oh, is well, gold. I, yeah, unfortunately, although um, and this is not a dig at food publishers because it is a diverse world and it's it's very difficult these days. Um, print media is not the sort of exciting and vibrant place it used to be. So I was judging. I think I'm allowed to say this because they've been announced now, but I was judging one of the categories for the Guild of Food Writers Awards. This okay, year. Wow. And half the books, uh, I mean, it must have been 30 titles turned up for this one particular category, and half of them were vegan. And at least half of those were vegan with a penchant for doing so on a budget. Right. And I just thought that is where we are in trouble. We are in trouble. If we keep just publishing for the latest. I'm not a publisher. I don't understand. They need to make money, right? I get it. So maybe mm. that's the way of making the money. Mm. But I find it a little bit like, and it must be right now. There must be so many great food books not getting written because it doesn't look like a good enough risk yeah, for the publisher. I think, and I think that's the way with any sort of publishing. It's the same with sort of music, isn't it? That you you get one sort of successful music artists come out and then you get three or four who are strangely quite similar to that one because people are thinking that it's a, it's <laughs> yes, a yes everybody sounds like yes. taylor swift for a while but. and i don't i don't think instagram helps either i don't i don't think instagram helps no one cooks in their kitchen anymore people only cook on the beach using utensils from 40 years ago <laughs> and um what else what else yes i should have i should have put instagram food pictures on here that would have Oh, well, you've got, you've got time. You've got time. No, okay, no, well, don't no, let no, me no, no. I don't influence you too much, uh, no, no, no. Mr. Kinnaird. Yeah. Um, well, is it Kinnaird? Yeah, Kinnaird, right? yes. Yeah, Kinnaird, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, Great. I was in danger of falling into a bad sketch <laughs> at some point there. Kinnaird to me, whatnot. So, okay, Tim, brilliant. Thought number one, loving that. Better yeah. techniques in cooking uh, because it is it's boring. It's, it's not necessarily exciting or, as you put it, sexy. Yeah. But it will make your cooking better. That's guaranteed. Okay, yeah. so um, point number two. Point number two. Well, this is this is where um, uh, when I talked to my wife about this, she said, oh, "You can't say that." But anyway, I'm going to say it. Anyway. <laughs> I'm going to say it anyway. Hang on, Cause, hang on, because they're normally right, wives. Yeah, I know she she probably is so right. I think the next two, she's probably definitely right. But I can say them anyway. Uh, this is this is really biting the hand that feeds me. But anyway, French food. Right. Um, so uh, I, would, I just want to talk a bit about French food. Um, I think there's a little bit too much uh, of uh, an overemphasis on the importance of um, French cooking um, and this kind of unwritten, unwritten assumption that French cooking and the kind of processes and the systems that relate to French cooking are the pinnacle and the gold standard of uh, 
how how food should be cooked, how restaurants should be run, uh, yeah. and that kind of everything should be measured against kind of that old school kind of Escoffier way of doing things. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I love French food. I mean, I run a, I run a business based on macarons, which are kind of French. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, I and 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 this 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 idea. There was there was a there was a, a, a while uh, there was a period during kind of a, lots of the um, kind of food shows where there's lots of talk about oh are you classically trained have you had this kind of classical French training because oh, that's yeah. you know that's the only you know that's that's the way you know that's what you need to kind of do well and you know can you make a souffle can you you know laminate a dough can you you know bone out a peacock or whatever um, <laughs> but. Um, and 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 I think there's a bit too much there's too much emphasis on it and and it kind of it kind of squashes uh, and distorts um, how people would might view foods and food cultures from other other places around the world. I mean, I, I, I get it with us in France. You know, they're only a few miles across the across the channel, and what and our our histories are you know probably more intertwined than any other culture and and, and country in the world. Um, but I think if you if you if we if as a as a country we spent as much time looking at kind of the heritage and and cultures behind you know Asian foods and um, South American foods and other other you know even other kind of European country um, foods Indian foods and they they have as rich uh, a culture and tradition and. Um, history of, of of food and cookery as, as france does but yet we sort of apply that template of french cooking onto um onto onto other cultures so i mean i i you know i i, I think a really good really brought home to me the other day when i was I, i've i've been to japan japan once and i'm lucky enough to do some tv stuff there and i'm really into kind oh, of japanese um, it's a short trip, but really kind of open my eyes to things. And um, I was talking to someone about Japanese um, food in my sort of not knowing that much about it. But their, their comment was, well, they don't, they don't really do desserts, do they, in Japan? And I think, well, okay. So, I mean, Japanese cuisine, same with the Chinese and Indian and Korean. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, you know, yes, if, if your world and if your view of food is, you know, a, a, a perfect meal is kind of a, a mousse starter, main dessert, petit four, coffee, cigar, go home. Then, yeah, yeah w- w- you know, where's my dessert? You know, um, but uh, and then so I think it, you sort of fundamentally miss out and don't understand how other how other cultures eat, and you and and it's to our detriment, really. We 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 sort of don't. You know, aren't kind of able to absorb and think. Oh well, there's something missing from it because they don't do it like kind of how traditional northern northern European and, and particularly French cooking does it. So, and and also, I think that follows a bit onto kind of how how um and I, I, we've never done it. I've never done it in our in our kitchens because I don't quite understand the terms to be honest. Um, but the 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 the, the job titles in kitchens, the, you know, the chef de partie, the uh, sous chef, the commis chef, the yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole I I, I've never. Yeah. I mean, I could have taken time to learn what they meant, but I, I think well, why? Why is, you know you see it on some of these food shows? Why is why is this um, kitchen in 
uh, I don't know, Hong Kong or Tokyo. Why have they got a chef to party? I mean, it, it's, it, it feels a bit like, and I choose my words carefully, this is where my wife says, don't say this, but I'm going to say it. Yeah, it, say whatever it, you like. Well, no, it's, friends, a bit, yeah. it's, it's a bit... <laughs> It's a bit sort of culinary imperialism. It's a bit like, well, well this, you know, the Europeans, this is how we do it. Uh, you know, we, 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 we'll tell you a lot how to run your kitchens. And you yeah. definitely, you yeah. know, you need a system and you need a method and you need uh, core recipes and you need core techniques. But we should open our eyes and ears uh, um, to how other countries um, do things and not kind of um, apply that French template onto everybody else. Oh God, I really agree in, in, in a lot of ways that I love, I love French food in the same way that I love regional food from pretty much everywhere. If it's made with passion, using local ingredients and the people who are handling it are skilled, yeah. then it's great cuisine as far as I'm concerned. And when I'm there, that's what I want to eat. Yeah. The French, I mean, you mentioned Escoffier, um, <clears throat> you know, they did an incredible thing with the creation of the La Rouge Gastronomique. Yeah. Uh, this, this, Bible of dishes and how they're made and the variations of them and how they should be served. Yeah. Okay, like that, brilliant. But the clues are there for the person reading, right? Every other dish is à l'anglais or uh, à la grecque or à la russe, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it's like, hang on a minute, yeah. is any of this actually blimmin' French, yeah. or is this all a bunch of ideas you've nicked from elsewhere, formulated into your own sinister ends, and then crammed into a book so you can claim it's your own cuisine? Yeah. Well, um, I think we're in danger of over-reading what French cuisine is, but I like the way that you've zoomed out and taken that to be the sort of the brigade system, that archaic yeah. kind of formulated way of using. Um, oh God, that was a horrible bleep in my head. Um, there was a you know, there's a that sort of horrible kind of feeling that, it, you know, if you're not in on the lingo, yeah, you know, then you don't, you, you, you don't get it. You're not part and, of and yeah, uh, yeah, that's that sort of hiding of power, isn't it? That's mm. sort of ephemeral or non-existent. Yeah, I like that. Um, and, and at the same time, I'll defend any sort of French regional cook uh, to be passionate and defensive oh, about yeah. their cuisine and claim that it's the best. Yeah, absolutely. On the other side of that, Oh, sorry, sorry, I interrupted your no, no, interruption. No, 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 go on, The other side of that is I'm totally with you on the perceptual dessert thing, okay? Um, this is a slightly longer stretch, but um, we used to go on holiday to visit my wife's aunt in Cyprus, okay? And they would take us to this place in Cyprus up in the hills called The Last Castle. And what they serve at The Last Castle is a barbecue. They burn logs in a in a sort of wriggly tin outdoor oven okay. right they serve wine by the jug water by the jug a couple of soft drinks if you're that way inclined and you can either have chicken vegetables or pork from the barbecue or a combination thereof and then when you finish that if you want dessert you put your hand up and you pick some grapes <laughs> and you eat them yeah and yeah. it's like actually that really is I mean, that's taking it to the extreme. Yeah. But when something is so simple and so much about, you know, that, and you have to get there at the right time because if you turn up late for the barbecue, it's a bit dry. And if you turn up early, it's not really ready and they're sort of pushing, giving you the bits off the edge and whatever. So you've got to try and get there at the right time. And you get this view out across and then you're having grapes afterwards and you're like, I can't believe that. that I've just had the most incredible, in brackets, five-star, close brackets experience. Yeah. 
at staff canteen level costs. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. brilliant because of where you are and what you're doing, not necessarily because of the bells and the whistles. Yeah, I think I think that's. I I, I bet if you ask most people in the um, in the in the in the food industry, you know, whether it's restaurants or small producers or or large scale producers, I, I would think that most of them, if you say what was you know what are your top five or top three kind of eating experiences. I doubt that many of them will say, oh, well, that kind of three-star Clever Clogs tasting menu. Um, it'll be, you know, for me, it's like the you know, year I graduated and was on the beach in Corfu eating eating sardines and baked feta cheese um, with, you oh, know, for all, the, for all the blokes I used to, you know, live with and just graduated with. And that, that they're, they're, the, they're the, the, the real kind of, that's real food gold. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can certainly create astonishing, you know, foodie events. There's no doubt about that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I tend to sort of, the things that stick in my mind tend to be about the people and the place and the soul of that food. Yeah. Right, okay, good, brilliant. That is another great point. And I don't think, I don't think there's any danger, really. I don't think it's offensive to say that, you know, to label that as French food with the caveats you put in place. Mm. Because you're right, we should stop should stop all of us worshipping at the altar of false idols if we can and just get involved in the good stuff fantastic Tim, this is brilliant and <laughs> very very excited about to hear what number three is going to be well number three i mean this might be pushing my luck because uh, I'm, I'm sort of aware of, of uh, your uh, you know your background and your story but supermarkets i wanted to talk about um there are loads of problems with supermarkets uh and i, I know I know you've had Drew and Alex on. I heard Drew's um, talk about meat and the problems with supermarket meat and uh, some of the quality of it and and how how meat is kind of uh, reared and sold and what's available. You know they, they've not done supermarkets have not done great things with our relationship with vegetables. Everything being perfect and nothing gnarly or kind of bruised. Um, you know how they've related to and worked with small producers over the years you know they have a lot of power they don't always play fair they package things over package things they use too much plastic yeah. I'm just listing all the awful things in supermarkets they you know they encourage overconsumption. you know buy one get one free of your kind of jammy dodgers or whatever um or other biscuits um not just jammy dodgers <laughs> other, other biscuits, biscuits are, available. are available i do have a jammy dodger though not all jammy dodgers fault um but, um, and I think this um, was made really clear in, in kind of the last few months with the, um, with the pandemic. I think we should occasionally and from time to time just acknowledge that supermarkets have had a positive effect, have had positive effects as well on, on kind of British society and, and British eating. Um, I think, the, you know, the, the standard of living in general has gone up over the last 50 years. I mean, there's still huge inequalities and, and uh, you know, rates of childhood poverty getting worse, uh, you know, the rich getting richer, poor getting poorer, lots of awful stuff going on. But in general, uh, people's standard of living has got better over, over the last sort of 40 yeah. years since the Second World War. Um, and I think um, in part that relates to the success of supermarkets and particularly the systems and methods they have in that they have in place for distributing food around the country and um you know i think we i think we saw the i think we saw the best of the supermarkets in in during the pandemic and 
I mean, you could argue, you know, they created that kind of culture of, you know, everybody panic buying toilet rolls or tin tomatoes or linguine. That was my go-to quick panic buying linguine. <laughs> Get the linguine. In. Um, uh, and but they, you know, they kept uh, vulnerable people fed in the last few months, um, and and did a and did a good job. Um, and I think there's lots of things that we eat and that we take for granted. Uh, that we wouldn't have as available um, if it wasn't for the supermarket. So, for example, everyone talks about, um, you know, the kind of key food writers in the last 50, 60 years, you know, the Jane Grigson's, the Elizabeth Davids, um, you know, bringing kind of new food cultures to the to, to, to Britain, uh, you know, olive oil, garlic. Um but the reason that we have that, the reason we can buy olive oil and garlic now so easily, the reason we can buy dried pasta, tin tomatoes, is because we buy them from a supermarket um, and because they've made those things available. Um, and they have loads of faults, and I and I and this is not letting them off the hook at all. Um, um, but they've had, I think they've, to a degree, they've helped sort of democratise food so that a wider range of food, uh, both healthy and unhealthy, um, is now available to a wider um, chunk of the population. Um, whereas you just would not have had that if we'd relied entirely on the system of small independent kind of um, food producers and um, and retailers. I mean, I'm, I'm a small food independent, you know, I'm an independent small retailer and producer, and I'm not talking myself out of a out of a job that there are roles and um, you know they are as in, they are as important as supermarkets yeah but you can't you can't you can't they can't do it all they can't carry all that um weight themselves um so uh, yeah so i don't want to um, this is not me trying to persuade us to um you know uh, give them a round of applause and think, oh actually they're all right now because they helped out during the pandemic but they and I wouldn't want to let them off the hook because they, they, there's still lots of improvement they need to make. But I think we should, at some level, acknowledge the positive effects that supermarkets have had on British culture and British eating. Okay, okay. Well, as a recent employee of one during oh, right. the lockdown, ah. um, I, I, I can tell you um, that there's a lot of stuff that I could talk about with supermarkets with you, actually, because I think um, they, they, they do do some good things. They do do some good things. They do some. They've got some fairly outdated um, work culture right. scenarios that I think they really need to address in terms of staying competitive and being modern and not living in the dark ages. But right. I agree. Okay, what they're very good at is logistics. Yeah. Right. We, we'll give them that. I mean, there's stuff that falls through the gaps and each and every supermarket will have its own problems and some are better than others at various different things. And I have loathed the supermarket for decades, um, in generally speaking. And there's a fantastic book by a brilliant writer called Joanna Blythman yeah, so really, called yeah. Shopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, anyone who's read that book will just go, oh, wow. You know, if, you're the, if you've been mugged by the marketing, you will look at that and go, oh, man <laughs> yeah. but i even when i read that oh god at least a decade ago um uh, i i had to take it with a fist of salt and i had to say look supermarkets are not going to go away yeah. the best thing and the best way of making the things that aren't great with supermarkets better is to engage with them and to educate people outside of them 
so that they can use their own buying choice because supermarkets are many things, but one thing they are is incredibly sharp when it comes to watching stuff. And if something stops selling because people have gone off the idea of it, they'll be ahead of you on that yeah. before yeah. you know it. So, yeah. they, but they're not going to be motivated to fix the problems. Um, you know, like for example, I mean, a long time ago now, when I was involved with the fish fight with Hugh, and we were talking to uh, the blue. Uh, supermarket shall we say about their tuna on their shelves and the labeling being misleading and you can just see them going whatever mate we sell megatons of this (laughs) so if people care we'll stop selling it but for now no one gives a you know and 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 that's how you change it right that that's you get the people on board and then some some you know i'm sure they still sell megatons of death tuna now but you know hopefully in some small way things get better um i get I, I like everybody. I get a little bit of a bone in my throat when I hear them crowing about the good works they've done. Like I saw an advert on, I think, uh, Facebook social media channel yesterday um, about the Blue Supermarket and how much work they'd done to partner with um, uh, Fair Share to get lots of extra meals fed to people in the last five years. And, and I thought, well, that's great. But the only reason that fair share exists is because you failed to deal with that problem yourselves. And now you rely on fair share because it's cheaper for you to give it to them, for them to redistribute it to people in need than it is for you to burn it, bury it or throw it away. And it wasn't until it became cheaper that you started really engaging with that problem. So I find that difficult. But then at the same time, they're not pretending necessarily that they've done it out of their own good need, but they are underlining something good that they've done. And I, and I think, yeah, do you know what? There aren't many people with the infrastructure or buying the volume of food who could do that with their residual commodity. So that is to be applauded. And I find myself in this difficult situation of thinking, you know, this, that, and the other, and trying to mix up where I spend my own personal household pounds you know and some will be at a supermarket normally one of the smaller two modern competitors if you like because i yeah. think they, they they really are delivering better food at a better price than yeah. some of the big boys and then i mix it up and buy some stuff locally as well but also having said you know all of that i tried for a long time to only buy stuff locally and forgive me for being human but by the end of february i am fed up with eating turnips <laughs> You know, I'm yeah. sorry. I am sorry, and I, I yeah, and I'll, I'll forage my wild mushrooms with the best of them, and I will buy my fish locally, yeah. and I will do all of that stuff. And I won't eat a rubbish tomato in December, nor will I have a strawberry that doesn't taste of anything except cardboard at Christmas. Yeah, but yeah. I will have a bulb of fennel from yeah. Holland <laughs> in, in, in December if I really fancy it. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I, I, I think I, that's calm down a bit. I, I think that, you know, bravo, Tim, for you saying that because I think I think that's I think. I think that's sort of. I think what you've just said should, should be heard a, a, a bit more because I think sometimes the um, sometimes when we talk about and and I, I think you know I think you, you and the and the likes of you know Hugh have done amazing work on 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 opening people's eyes to this sort of stuff and say so I'm I'm not coming on here to start saying well I know you know that's not right I think I think absolutely everything you're saying is, is correct but I think the that that sort of balance with the the reality um of what day-to-day people's lives are like and that you and i are in 
you know, relatively privileged positions, both kind of, you know, you know I, I don't know how much money we both have, but, you know, we probably, you know, you, know, you can buy fennel, well, so you can't be that bad off, you know. Uh, not not but, enough to stop me having to get an emergency job when uh, when lockdown well, kicked in, I'm yeah, telling so you, but, um, you know, never mind, it was no, exceptional. You know, and, 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 and likewise, I'm, I'm earning less now than I was as a, as yeah, my first I'll job bet. as a junior doctor um but um uh but yeah i think you know it's it's i think w- w- when uh sometimes the voices on on um on, on particularly on sort of broadcast media i talk about the sort of stuff that i think sometimes the the reality of of um how a big chunk of the population live their lives and 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 the time they have to shop and the money that they have to shop i think um sometimes there's loads of stuff you can do about you know sort of about highlighting ways of cooking or ingredients you could use instead or you know this can be as good and you know and that sort of education stuff that you, you know if you can do it without preaching uh and 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 um uh that's that's the that's the trick i think but the um uh but yeah you know it's 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 pretty pretty tough uh for for some people to be able to do that and i think supermarkets have, have really uh, offered a offered a good service to those folk, uh, and, and yeah. Uh, so uh, I think you know, well, yeah. But it's nice of you to. It's nice. It's good to hear you say that. Yeah. Well, I'm sort of well practical and and pragmatic, I guess, in my in my longer tooth days, and less idealistic, mm. perhaps. Um, I, I would encourage people to shop always with their eyes, their hands, and their palate, as well as their wallet, because the temptation, you know, to to cheap food. It's very often got hidden costs either for your health or for the environment and therefore you know buying something that seems expensive and cooking it yourself but making more meals out of it is not exciting or glamorous or sexy you know it's boring and lots of people aren't interested in it but ultimately those are the things that give you greater control over your food spend um, mm. because it takes your your potential spend out of the hands of the companies trying to maximize their profits and it puts you into a position where you start to begin that wonderful journey of frying a bit of onion, you know, and realizing <laughs> that it changes with temperature yeah, and for 20 seasonings. <laughs> yeah, 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 but not too hot for 20 minutes or it'll burn. No, 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 no. Uh, and definitely not using any palm oil as your medium. I, yeah. I tell you what, if we can take away, if we can take away palm oil, farm salmon, yeah, and dodgy tuna from the supermarkets i i I'll, we we i'll i'll be i'll cut the ribbon to open the door that's what i'll do <laughs> right i've totally robbed your point your point no no in, no, no, no. In, i think well no i was got the reason I, I was a bit reluctant to talk about this i thought i think tim might know more about this than i do but there you go um but no well good we've we've reached a consensus that's good oh good oh, oh fantastic so so supermarkets should get, you know, a little bit of less grief when they're doing good stuff, and then and we shouldn't take that away. That's that that sounds like a fair point to me. We do nearly everyone spends the majority of their grocery spend in a supermarket. Yeah, they do. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, well, that, I, you know, those are three great points, none of which are particularly specifically very bakery. So no, I'm well, <laughs> I should have yeah, talked about meringue yeah, more. You know. we'll be, yeah, well, we're going to be creaming, um, I don't know, ground almonds with eggs or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, 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 I should have said that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But no, 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 no. I've really, 
I really like those points and they're delivered beautifully as well from a mm. from a very uh, a nice sort of um, level headed viewpoint really. So well, mm. there you go. I mean, that's what the Madam's Cast all about. Um, it's about getting your opinions out there and tr- trying to stop me interrupting too much. Both of which <laughs> I think you seem to have achieved quite well. So that's that's really good. Cool. Um, Tim. Brilliant. We're sort of nearly there. We've got. A, I've got to get from you now a nomination yeah. for someone else that's going to come on the Madam's cast. They don't yeah. have to. They can be real or fictitious. Um, mm-hmm. They don't have to agree. You know, we're not going to go around at gunpoint and force them on. Okay. Um, unless you know, unless you tell us we have to. Uh, book a food book that you would have with you on your own chosen desert island scenario, and yeah. what you would have to drink whilst you were perusing said book. Okay. I've got a funny feeling it's not going to be the LaRue's gastronomy. <laughs> no. No. Um, well, the, the, the book for me is, is, is an easy choice. Um, this is, it's not a widely available thing, but it, it, um, I don't actually own it. It's, it's, um, it's my mum's book. But um, um, it's, the, it's the Good Housekeeping um, Children's Cookbook published in uh, the late 50s. Um, uh, it was my mum's uh, children that she was given by her mum. And as a first page, you write the name. And then underneath, um, um, it's my name. And it's like a classic blanket. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't own it. It's one of those things. It's, I'm a bit bad at some songs sometimes, really perfect songs that I don't want to listen to too often because you don't want them to lose their kind of impact, their kind of emotional impact. And so my mum has this book in uh, my mum and dad's house, and um, it, it's kind of a, a collection of um, really old school uh, British recipes. It's all kind of black and white, um, except for a few colour pages in the middle. So it's kind of beef stews and pies and chocolate mousse um, but in the middle as you said there's these coloured pages um, and they have these really vivid um, pictures of kind of confectionery kind of like, like lollipops and I've got it <laughs> and coconut ice and uh, chocolate things and it's it's so seared into my my brain it's and, and I'm sure it sort of in part underlies why I, I like making um sort of macarons and because of their, their kind of color and their, their vibrance yeah now. yeah um so yeah so the, the good housekeeping the, I mean it's a bit of its time I think we'll put it so it does have it's got a load got of pictures of mum and daughter in pinny cooking and dad in chair with pipe uh, with his feet up um, and what's wrong with that? Quite, <laughs> oh, it is. Um, and no, um, no, and, um, and it does have like <laughs> this is a whole chapter or certainly part of a chapter on how to do the washing up, um, which is brilliant because um, it's actually yeah. a good housekeeping. So yeah, so the good housekeeping um, cookbook for children would be would be my perfect book just because it's it's you know it's got so many um, memories and kind of um, things tied up in it. Um, oh, and we've got to get kids cooking, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we do have to get children cooking. And I'm, uh, I'm a, I'm a governor at a local high school, and um, it's, um, and I, yeah, you sort of see what they 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 get up to. It's, it's um, yeah, yeah, children cooking. It's um, it's the way forward, really. So um, yeah, brilliant, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And so, what are you going to have to? 
quench the thirst while you're pouring over this serious tone. Yeah, it's going to be a bit dull, this. Um, I mean, I I try to think of um, a nice boozy drink, um, but I can't can't think of anything. Uh, For me, alcohol eventually just gives me a headache and gets boring. (laughs) Um, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. And then, I, there's never one drink I kind of settle on. So, a nice cup of tea, I think, would do, yeah. it would do me fine in my hammock and my, with my cookbook. Um, so, proper cup of tea, not a tea bag and a mug job. Nice teapot, uh, brewed properly, uh, milk in first, uh, tea cozy, um, nice, um, nice bit of china and a, and a, and a spoon to stir it. <sighs> So uh would yeah. do me fine. Yeah. Thanks very much. No, well what's wrong with a cup of tea? I mean, I'm I'm totally happy with a cup of tea and a cookbook. That's fine by me. Yeah. Um and I suppose if we are gonna encourage children to, to pick the book up and look at it, then we shouldn't be encouraging them to drink anything no. easy either, that's for sure. <laughs> no, um, cooking doesn't <laughs> have to involve gin. No, it's not. No, no, no. I do you know, I did a um I sometimes engage with Twitter um for my own nefarious interests. Uh, and I put a few options up on a Twitter poll and I said something like, this was a couple of weeks ago, I said, what lockdown habits shall I keep uh, as we sort of start to come back towards whatever is going to happen next? And I put down wearing a hairband because I'd had to start wearing a hairband because my floppy hair was getting in my face. Okay. Um, daily yoga practice uh, or midweek drinking, I think I'd put those three. And it was overwhelmingly 86% <laughs> of people thought that I should continue drinking during the week. And I thought, yeah. hang on a minute, I've got some really healthy, what about the yoga? That's like a really positive yeah. development for me. You should be doing more of that. Yeah. Stop it, everyone with your peer pressure for me to get drunk. <laughs> yes. Oh, brilliant. Okay, fantastic. Oh, well, okay. Well, Tim, before I say cheerio, because it has been brilliant having you on. Yes. And I feel, once again, I feel like I've made a new friend, cool. which is yeah, ditto, such a nice nice. thing about this sort of mad little idea we had to start a podcast. Um, can you nominate someone else to come along? I, I can. Um, I, I mean, I, I haven't asked either. Well, I haven't asked the, the, the person. I mean, there's. Uh, can I give you two? I don't know. Is that wrong? Yeah, yeah, that's all right. I think the, it doesn't matter whether they come on or not. It's just a, a bit of fun. Really. Uh, okay, okay. Well, they're um, uh, they're two um women who uh have been a big influence on uh me uh in terms of my food business. Um, the first is a good old Norfolk gal um, called Sarah Pettigree, who runs uh, a company called Bray's Cottage Pork Pies. Um, she's got a huge Twitter following. She's really big on social media. Um, she was an accountant, and now she makes the best pork pies in the country, I think. Uh, she comes and does classes with me. We teach people how to make pork pies. Uh, yes. And um, she has... And it's a bit like the second, my second nominee as well. Um, she has managed uh, to balance... She uh, a fantastic product with good business sense. Um, so she, yeah, yeah, and that's hard to do to yeah, actually yeah. to to make money out of food uh, is a tricky business. Whoever you are, and whatever size you are. Um, so yes, yeah, Sarah Pessigree of Braised Cottage Pork Pies, um, and uh, as I said, and this is uh, for anything else. She's got a massive Twitter following. So if you, you know, if you get her on. <laughs> you will uh and she's brilliant and she's a really good friend and she goes in fact i met her because she when i got through to the quarterfinal of the master chef she said she put it out on twitter if that bloke off master chef comes and finds me and 
Norwich City Centre today selling pork pies. I'll give him a free one. Um, and um, we've been friends ever since, really. So. Um, what? So, a free pork, free pork pie, pie, particularly a good one. Yeah. Nice hot water crust pastry. Yeah. Just the right yeah. amount of trotter jelly. She doesn't you know. do jelly. There's no jelly in her pork. <gasps> oh, 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 we're going to have to get her on because I need to have that out with her. <laughs> you, you should. So she's, yeah, she's, um, she, she's, yeah, but she'll argue her case. Where do you stand on jelly? Hang well, on, where do you stand I, well, on? no, I I do quite like it, and it's a bit awkward uh, when we have uh, these these uh, classes uh, uh, about. I I love it. I I I'm quite a fan of making. Um, oh, this is going to completely undermine my previous argument, but pat on croutons. <laughs> you know the sort of French kind of terrines covered in pastry, sort of pat on croutons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I've got a whole book on uh, different ones out of, of, of those, and um, yeah, I've, I've discovered some really lovely jelly recipes in that that use kind of a mixture of sort of half and half chicken stock and, and sherry, um, which is delicious. Yeah, nice. Um, nice. We used to do one with sauternes oh, nice. up in London, which mm. was a trotter jelly reduced with sauternes, and that was pretty special. Very nice. um, okay, oh, you had someone else. Yeah, there's another person. I haven't seen her for a while, um, but she's um, she is uh, a force of nature. She's called Kate Jenkins, and uh, she runs a company called Gower Cottage Brownies. And um, she has also um, managed to uh, mix uh, making a fantastic product uh, with good business sense. So she's based in the Gower Peninsula in Wales. And uh, she is a small independent food producer, but has really um, done amazing things with uh, QVC. She sells loads of brownies through QVC. She does loads of the food shows. We met, we were, we were opposite each other at a, at a good food show at NEC six, seven years ago and became really good friends. Okay. And and, um, uh, and I've, yeah, much like Sarah, really, I've kind of uh, gone back to her over the years with kind of for, sort of for, for advice. And, um, you know, she really nailed, has nailed the online cake business um, brownie selling. Um, and she's a... A force of nature. She is absolutely hilarious, and she's equally very well connected and knows lots of very famous people because she sends them all her brownies. So, as a, as a stepping stone for your podcast, Tim, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think you can get to know Kate Jenkins of Gary because and she's absolutely lovely. They're both uh, both Kate and Sarah are absolutely lovely, and um, you know, uh, all the best of what um, I think women are doing in the in the in the food industry in the UK at the moment. We need more of them. Yeah, that's what I think. We do. Yeah, that's a definite. Um, well, Tim, I'm going to say cheerio, but before I do, thanks very much. Not, not, not least for thinking so carefully about how you can get me some more listeners for my <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. Um, I hadn't realised that that people were going to be so helpful when they came on. It's mm. becoming a bit of a sort of build your own project, and yeah. I quite like that. Um, so, Tim heartfelt thanks you've given us over an hour of your time you've given me over an hour of your time and that is a precious thing to everyone we get a limited amount of it and i really really appreciate it enjoy um the rest of your time going forwards and and we'll hopefully very hopefully speak again in the not too distant future cool thanks tim excellent cheers tim <laughs> <laughs>